0: of interesting individuals and how they intersect with our building industry in Iowa. I'm your host, Ben Hammes, and I'm going to bring to you topics that help educate, develop, grow, and enhance you and your company. Welcome, Chad. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, man. We're calling this one The Launch. The Launch, okay. It's the best I could come up with as far as creativity.
1: Got any better names? Um, let's start with The Launch and see where it goes. Good idea. Are you a podcast guy? You know, I just started doing a couple of them from Joe Rogan, ah, per your suggestion. Yeah, he's good. He's the best. Fascinating stuff. I was
0: listening to it when I was working out. So. He only made $200 million on his deal with Spotify. See, it's a good start for you.
1: Yeah, right. Ladies and gentlemen, little... Ben Hammes. Get to know him now because he's going to be famous. That's right.
0: So Joe Rogan, huh? Any other favorites? Not really. No? Not really. Okay. Uh-oh. I got some more suggestions for okay. you. Okay. I like some of the financial ones. I like the you know stock ones. I like um, some sports ones. You're a sports guy. Yeah. You might like some of those. Tell it's me, a generational but, thing, though, right? Yeah. Does Wu-Tang Financial have a podcast? Wu-Tang. <laughs> <laughs> got a good Twitter account. <laughs> follow them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but the more you get comfortable with them, I guess the more you... Pick out different subjects, more you like to listen, becomes routine, but it is generational. And I think that's what we want to do with this podcast, right? We want to reach a different demographic in our membership, um, a different demographic in uh, the industry that maybe we don't reach on a weekly basis. You and I have talked about this a lot. We do a lot of good things in this organization, but we haven't always reached uh, new audiences. And I think that's what we want to do with this podcast. before we get into some of more specifics, I guess there, um, we're in a new studio, we're in a new building. Mm-hmm. You excited about this? Tell them, tell the uh, listeners about our new building.
1: Yeah, we just moved in at the end of August and. It's, it's been great. This is a great asset for the association. It gives us a lot of opportunities to do something, things differently than we've done in the past. For those of you who may remember us at 221 Park Street, it was a great home for 53, 54 years. Um, it's going to be a Jethro's, by the way. So, but I, I look at it as this building offers us opportunities to enhance that engagement and that member value. when you start looking at what we can do from the training perspective with our training room. Um, We had a breakfast club a couple of weeks ago where we have 80 80, people there. Yeah, Yeah. with Debbie Durham, that was great. Um, But that's just kind of a snippet of what we can do when we start looking at ways to reach the membership. And, you know, our membership's so diverse. Um, We're going to have people who still rely on the traditional newsletters. Um, Quite frankly, probably a lot of them still wish it would be Coming in our mails and mail via mail and dropped in our mailbox, um, but you know we're still servicing those folks. We're servicing those folks who who prefer email. But this is another way through the podcast is to really create that engagement It's to create another avenue um, to share information with members. And it may or may not be construction. I mean, that's the beauty of this. We have no idea what to expect, and um, but I'm excited about it because I think there is another generation out there that doesn't see all the value that M- MBI can provide to them. And this is another another way to really enhance that membership proposal, and, and also look at how we can enhance that engagement factor. I'm excited about it.
0: Yeah, it's an unwritten rule, or unwritten um, you know playbook, I guess. We've talked about... Who we want for guests, um, you know we're going to have contractors on, of course, right but we're going to have non um, industry folks on um, you know you and I talked about how cool it would be to get an inside perspective on um, what Nil means in college athletics. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we get an expert from the the NIL collective up in Iowa State and and the University of Iowa? I think that would be of interest to uh, a lot of our members, and how maybe the business community could enhance each of those efforts and participate in the new world we
1: live in with the NCAA. So, you know, our members do a ton of work at the regents. Yeah, right. when you look at the athletic facilities, when you look at how those facilities will, quite frankly, just have a complete overhaul, right? Um, and a complete facelift, just because they need to attract talent. Right. I mean, it's, it's very indicative of what our workforce looks like right now. You have to attra- find ways to attract talent. And that's the world we're, in, we're living
0: in right now. Absolutely. Talking about workforce, you know, one of the first things we wanted to talk about in the podcast, too, is what started this week. And that's the 2023 legislative session. Right. We have a responsibility and a duty to uh, represent the membership in the industry up at the Capitol. And that's what you know I do on a weekly basis. But you did it for 17 years. What's that? I did it for 22 years. Well, 17 with uh, Uh, MBI. MBI, Right. And then five years before that. That's true. 22 years. Um, You know. Thankfully, I think from your perspective, you've shared with me, you don't have to go up there anymore, right? Oh man, it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Especially in in
1: April. Yeah, yeah. I I, I say that, Jess, because it is. You know, one of the things I truly enjoyed going into the Capitol because it's the people. Um, There's some people that you just really enjoyed working with, you learn so much from them, and they're leaders. But you have some people who just are purely there for the benefits. It just cracked me up, and regardless of what party. um, But, you know, I... for doing it for 22 years it i learned a lot about the process you learn a lot about people You learned a lot about conflict resolution um and you learn a lot about yourself and you know i think you learned a lot about yourself um you know this last session and working the C.M. at risk bill it was the most frustrating process you ever seen but um, at the end you still it's like you, you hit the winning shot Right, and, you know, you stick with it and you remain tenacious, and that's what get things done. But at the end of the day, you kind of stand up, dust yourself off, and keep on doing it for the right reasons. What do you think's changed from when you did to when to to now when I have to go up there? Um, from my perspective, everyone's a lot older. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I go up there, I'm the new old guy. Yeah. Um, no, I think seasoned seasoned. What what do they call you? A pioneer Uh, pioneer lawmaker, pioneer lawmaker. After 20 years, you get a little pledge pin on your uniform. That's right. Um, you know, I think what has changed is probably, I think the polarization of of the two parties. Yeah. Um, good, bad or indifferent. I mean, you know, we're, we're Certainly, benefic- or, you know, beneficiaries of you know a Republican-led legislature. Right. The things we've been able to get done these last few years would not have been done in a split legislature, and right. just the way it is. Um, but I think you know at the end of the day, it's that polarization which really has probably. Um, you know, probably impacted the process because invariably the pendulum always swings back, and that's when I think you know business groups like ours, um, the things we do now uh, will really determine what kind of impacts we'll we'll see when you know when de- Democrats take control. Um, it's you know it. When that happens, who knows? Right. Um, uh, to what degree it happens, who knows? But it will happen, because it always does in one form or another. Right. No, you're right. And I think in some
0: respects, our attitude has shifted from a completely offensive mindset to somewhat of a defensive mindset. There are always going to be issues that pop up that we need to be on guard for. We've talked about this. We've talked about it with our government affairs committee and our board of directors. Right now, we're in that mode where we've accomplished so much in the last decade, these big-ticket items. Like PLAs Mm -hmm. and Statute of Repose and CM at Risk and the SABE bill. We've done these big items. Now it's a a time for us to really reflect on how we can make the the investments and in the education for CM at risk, and how we make that work for the whole industry, and for the owners that we serve. So, I think that's where our our focus has shifted a little bit this year. We, we do have four priorities I want to hit on real quick. We're going to talk about property tax reform this this session for sure. Where that goes, I have no idea. Um, I think MBI needs to play a role. We need to have a seat at the table when we talk about. Changes that might impact um, tax increment financing—you know—you pull one lever with property tax reform, and 20 other things are affected. It's just there's no easy solution out there. Everybody knows it.
1: It's a proverbial putting toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, it's it's
0: hard. And where it's we hard. where we go from here to actually ensure that local governments are funded appropriately and they have the needs, and yet you're still responsible to your constituents and their property taxes. It, it's a, it's a question. I'm not real overly optimistic anything really gets done, but uh, that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, without going into too many other delved-in details, we've got um, a, a fairness issue amongst sales tax um, for some of our companies, the way that they're... Um, handling risk within their companies. They're being treated, I think, unfairly by the Department of Revenue, so we're going to try to fix that. We've got some economic development programs out there. How do we figure out ways to leverage um, and inject private investment into public infrastructure? That is a huge need.
1: Um, and on that one, I think that's something that MBI and you know the development community needs to keep their eye on because... The trend is continuing scale back public involvement in you name it. Right. Um, Everything's talk. everyone's talking about efficiency. Everyone's talking about, you know, what's the best way to deliver services. I, you know, at the end of the day, um, you're gonna see consolidation, you're gonna see the public owner being more and more, I don't want to say strapped for cash, but the expectations will be higher for them to be more efficient, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to impact the public's ability to really meet its infrastructure needs. And the problem is, if it hits a crisis perspective, um, or you know, it hits a crisis timeline, to where all of a sudden, you know, here we are with schools that are falling apart. You know, the uh, municipal infrastructure is having problems. You continue to see issues with you know, uh, drinking water quality. Um, you can see air quality within the buildings. Um, and just kind of the disparity between the have and have nots when you start looking at those communities that have the tax base versus those who are more rural. I mean, we're rural kids. Yep. Um, simple, son, simple son of a pig farmer from Cedar County. Um, shout out to Bob Coffee, <laughs> by the way. Um, but, you know, that's what I think is going to be the, the big thing that you want to avoid. Yeah. Because... If anything, we've learned through the years, the legislatures does not do well at crisis management, right? Because they always take it one to one extreme to the other. What well, needs to be looked
0: at in in, in the decade ahead? Mm-hmm. Right now, you have such a, you know, we've seen this enormous injection of federal money for infrastructure, and that is in the immediate, but that's not going to be in the long term. Yeah. How how are communities of nine hundred? Going to find the funding to do what you're talking about—septic yeah. systems and yeah. wastewater treatment
1: facilities—and I think it would be interesting. The legislature went back and looked what happened with the tobacco settlement funds. All of a sudden, it's this mm. two hundred million dollars worth of money hmm. that had a, you know, was basically kind of designated or would be delegated accordingly to however the settlement shook out mm. and. Um, it, it was such a big fight because it was supposed to go toward basically capital improvement mm. and it it went all over the place mm-hmm. and so when you start looking at one of the feds or any kind of this huge cash infusion things become really really tricky and and people start you know picking their sides and finding out hey this is where i'm going to you know, where, where, where can we put this money now? But it really, they're not thinking about the long-term and how best to, you know, to allocate resources accordingly.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, we, we, we hit took a little time there, but that's kind of our third priority there is figuring out ways to inject private investment into public infrastructure needs. And then our fourth one that we have a staple that we always look at is the rebuild Iowa infrastructure fund, ensuring that those monies are all going uh, where they need to be. Statutorily, they need to go to vertical infrastructure projects. Um, and so we're those are kind of the four things highlighted that we'll talk about in some future podcasts too, and we bring some lawmakers on, hopefully, um, you know, as we mm-hmm. progress with this podcast. Who was your favorite lawmaker you worked with
1: during your time? oh man that's like picking a favorite kid yeah um well they're probably dead and no longer around so <laughs> you know you look back chuck gipp was amazing yeah he was a great guy um speaker paulson he was my favorite yeah um you know he was somebody that I always was willing to talk you know my favorite legislators were the ones who would come out and visit you mm-hmm. and you know when I first started, you had access to the floor on both the House and Senate. And now it's you feel you know you feel like you're invading a foreign country, and these alarms and bells and whistles go off. Um, and certainly that has changed. But you know those legislators who would come out um, would get to know you. Um, I even had a past teacher and football coach be a legislator, and um, you know Steve Richardson from uh, Indianola area, and so. That's what you kind of miss. I think one of the things that, when you look at the turnover, and if you ever talk to a legislator, say, hey, just come out and visit us every once in a while. You know, we're not sitting there on out in the out in the lobby with the kind of like don't feed the animals mentality. Right. But uh, uh, but I think it's important to get to know and build those relationships. And you know, that's one of the great things of the job was the, the relationships. But on on the flip side, when you have this 33 percent turnover. Um, a lot of time and effort is put in to get to know these people, and all of a sudden, poof, they're gone, and you never see or hear from them again. Right. So, One of the challenges of the job. Yep.
0: You know, one thing I always like to talk about, especially when members ask me specifically what they can do, lawmakers are dying to hear from people that live in their communities. Mm-hmm. not Not just at the Saturday coffee shop, but they are dying for input. To expect that a lawmaker is an expert in construction and farming and banking and teaching is just it's completely unrealistic until you really Learn who these folks are. They have the best of intentions in serving their communities, but they want to hear from you as well. They want to talk on the phone about something. They want to, you know, especially freshman lawmakers who, you know, don't have the seniority to bring up bills or have the
1: clout to get anything moving right away. So, And and they have no personal staff. I mean, if you look at Minnesota, Illinois, probably uh, Missouri, these they have personal staff very similar to what you see at US Congress right um, here it's a clerk who's basically administrative and in them that's their office yep that's a good point.
0: Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, we have a little event coming up at the end of February.
1: Can you talk to us about that? Is that the annual meeting? I think I, so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's our annual winter conference. I'm excited about it. You know, this is our showcase event, and it's an opportunity to where we bring people together. Uh, we do a ton of networking. We have. Um, educational programs, we have safety programs, we have keynotes, and again, my anticipation we're gonna see anywhere from 1,500 to 1,600 people over probably the two-day span um, at the end of February and 1st of March. And so, it's, it's a great event. And each year, we strive to make it bigger and better. And, um, you know, we put together a great complement of speakers. I'm excited about them. It's the people you hear from normally. And they, you know, they'll talk leadership, but they all have their own cool stories. And I think that's what makes the program so so great, because, I mean, quite frankly, in the construction industry, there's always opportunities for self-improvement. But a lot of times, we need to step back and just listen to people and their stories. And and I think that's something that is the most compelling aspect of, of some of the Programs are putting together because they do have great stories, and and also there's a lot to offer. I mean, you start looking at the complement of different programs, education that we're going to be providing. We're trying we're trying to cast the net as wide as possible to catch as many of of our members and the, their employees who would find benefit from this program. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, February 28th, March 1st, Downtown Iowa Event Center,
0: Downtown Des Moines. We look forward to seeing a huge crowd there. All right, before we wrap up the podcast here on our first launch, I got a couple things to put you on the hot seat about. Uh Uh-oh. Number one. What is the most? What is the one thing that stood out to you in the last day or so as a current event in the entire world? What have, What have you read that just stood out to you? What I've read that stood
1: out to me. I spent way too much time on Twitter. Yeah, that's um, the
0: problem. You know, there's I, never just one,
1: but if you have to <laughs> narrow it, you got to pick one. You know, uh, Brock Purdy is the number one rated quarterback in the last six weeks. Isn't that amazing? After watching him for four years and Iowa State fan. Even my brother told me the same thing. He said, Look, this he
0: he doesn't look now like mm-hmm. he did when he was at Iowa State. The zip on the ball, the comfort,
1: all that. It's pretty amazing yep. stuff. Yep. I, I, it's, it's, I mean, it's such a cool story. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Irrelevant, number 262 in the draft, and now, you know, playing for a Super Bowl caliber team yeah. in less than 12 months. Yeah. So pretty cool. I heard that
0: yesterday, or er, uh, today, and then I heard, listen to this, Brandon Sheriff, mm-hmm. highest paid guard in the NFL, Tristan Wirfs, yep. highest paid offensive tackle in NFL history, hmm Tyler Linderbaum, expected to be the highest paid center in the NFL. Mm -hmm. George Kittle, highest paid tight end in the NFL. And that's before we have a Brees Hall contract, a Brock Purdy contract, and a... There was one more I had on my list.
1: But, I mean, Iowans are taking over the NFL. It's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, it is way cool. I mean, and... It's that's that's what I think that's kind of going to, want to make you know college or pro sports more exciting, particularly on the football side. Yeah, because now, you know, when we talked about the NIL, NIL deals, we're kind of creating this have and have not. So all of a sudden, how do these people who, you know, we watched for years make it at the next level? Right. Which is gonna be cool. Right. All right. AFC and NFC predictions champs in each side oh man um Steelers aren't playing so you know my wife would she said Chiefs all the way but man I can't <laughs> <laughs> I think it's gotta be, I think it's gonna be the Niners, and the, Bills, Niners be and the Bills a great Super Bowl yeah I think that will be a great yeah. one too and, and there's be... so, there's some fun to watch I mean with the Bills it's so it's just a cool story I think this you know Hamlin, he's back at it. You know, yeah. When does he get in front of the cameras? Right. You know, does he show up at the, the next game? Um, you know, everyone's wearing number three jersey, and it just the crowd just goes wild. So you just know the emotion is going to be at a peak. So right, I'm excited about what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun watching that football. Mm-hmm. All right thank you, Chad. Thanks for being
0: here on the, uh, the launch. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll be uh, bringing this back periodically as we have new content and new speakers to bring. Um, appreciate you all being with us and we'll see you next time. It's been real.